times of, of personal devotion this, this week. And as I looked at our choir special this morning and, and just reminded myself of, of the lyrics of that song, I thought, you know, maybe we should just take some time. I know this would be good for me. Maybe we just take some time this morning talking about talking about times when we don't necessarily fully and completely trust in God. I don't, I don't know about you. That's a personal struggle of mine. If things aren't working out in my timeline, I tend to get a little worried and, and tend to try and maybe make things happen in the timeline or in the way that, that I think they should happen. And this week I was, I was reading in Matthew chapter six and I was just reminded by Jesus that worrying is not something that brings honor to God. As a matter of fact, worry is something that stands in complete contrast to who God is and His faithfulness in our lives. So we're going we're gonna to dive in this morning to Matthew chapter 6, specifically verses 25 through 34. We don't do this often, but I thought this would maybe, maybe kind of neat this morning. Um, let's stand together as we just read all of these verses together. And then we'll kind of come back and, and dissect them one by one. I'm reading out of the New International Version. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or, re- or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom, and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, as we dive into this time of studying Your Word together. God, just speak truth into our hearts. We pray this in Your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I love that. I love occasionally standing to to read Scripture together, and that's not just because it's a good tradition to have. I actually had to do some research on it one time, and, and I found out that way back, go back several years, several thousand years, I had a pat, um, well, not several thousand years. I didn't have a pastor several thousand years ago, but I shared this one time when I preached before, but several years ago, I had a pastor who always had the church stand and read scripture together. And I asked him after the service one day, I said, Hey, can you explain to me why we do that? And he said, it's in the scripture. Find it for yourself. And then you'll understand it a little bit better. So I began to kind of read and try and figure out what he was talking about. And then I came across this story in the Old Testament. I love it. The, uh, Israelites were kind of uh, 
arriving back in the city. If you know the story, you can find it in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is uh, bringing some exiles back into the city of Jerusalem. This is where the thousands of years ago comes into play. And they begin to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. The city had been decimated in, in previous years, and all of the people had been taken into captivity, and, and Nehemiah had been commissioned to, uh, to bring the people back into the city and rebuild the walls. And during all of this, one of the high priests came across as they were re- rebuilding the temple, he came across this ancient scroll, and it turns out this ancient scroll was the Holy Word of God. The people had not heard it in years, and so as they gathered together, um, it was decided we need to read the Word of God to the people. They've been exiled for years and years, and generations of our people have not heard of God's Holy Word. We need to bring them back. So they built a tower, and over this this field area within the city walls, and they they said, here's what we're going to do. Starting at sunrise tomorrow, we're going to stand in this tower and we're just going to read the Word of God to the congregated people. So the next morning as they stood to read the Word of God, as these people for the very first time in their lives were beginning to hear God's Word inscribed specifically for them, they were so overwhelmed and in awe of that moment that they stood collectively. It says they stood for hours upon hours that day. That They read the Word of God from day sunrise to sunset. And the people just stood in honor and reverence of the reading of God's Word. You know, I think we take it for granted a little bit in our day and age. We, we have God's Word everywhere. We have multiple versions on our phone and maybe on our shelves. And sometimes we forget how fortunate we are to be able to hear from God just by simply opening this book and reading what He has to say. So in Matthew chapter 6, this is Jesus talking here, and He is uh, right in the middle of, of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus is talking to a big group of people, and they're sitting on a hillside. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And He's, he's just teaching them a lot of, He's teaching them a lot of stuff. And, uh, it's important to look at that very first word in chapter 25. Verse 25 of chapter 6, it says, Therefore, in my translation, and a, uh, a pastor that I used to have said, if you ever see the word therefore in Scripture, you need to find why, therefore, what it's there for. So it generally is referring to something that Jesus just said previously. So if you look back at the previous verse, Jesus has said to the people, no one can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the reason that Jesus has said, therefore, he's saying, hey folks, remember, we've just acknowledged that God alone is worthy of our praise and our acknowledgement. That he alone deserves all of our attention and all of our focus. So if we've got that right, then I want to teach you a few other things. Now, Previously, also in these verses, he's specifically talking about those who have extraordinary wealth. If you look at the the verses starting at verse 19 prior, he is talking about not storing up our treasures on earth. The importance of the earthly possessions that we have and how they can quickly fade away in light of our kingdom focus and our eternal focus on Jesus. So in these moments, Jesus is saying, now... 
Rich folks, I've just talked to you about storing up your wealth and hoarding and trying to become even wealthier. Now, poor folks, let me talk to you for a second. And I love this about Jesus. He's acknowledging that in the room, there are a lot of different people with a lot of different things going on in their life, but yet we all need to be reminded that our focus must always be on Jesus alone. So he says, hey, some of you in the room who aren't quite as wealthy and you may think I'm not talking to you, let me remind you that you've got issues as well. You worry a lot because you're trying to catch up with all those people that have a lot of stuff. So let's talk a little bit about worry. Let's talk about focusing on the things in life that are the most important. So he dives right in in verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? So he comes right out and says, Gang, listen, you worry about things that are not so important. Now, there's a little cultural understanding that we need to embrace here. Because most of us this morning, we got up and there was probably food in our refrigerator and maybe many of us had breakfast this morning. Most of us put on clothes this morning. I'm looking around the room. It seems like we all achieved that objective today. I'm very proud of you. If we want a drink, there's generally things in the refrigerator for us. If not, there's a water fountain right out in the hallway. So for many of us, for most of us, maybe all of us in this room today, when we look at that, we say, okay, well, I don't really worry about food or drink so much anymore. I don't worry about um, what I'm going to wear. So so maybe Jesus isn't talking to me in this moment. But see, here's what has happened in our current day and age. We have, we have replaced the MasterCard to cover us for all of those basic necessities in life. And when we go out to eat, we just swipe the card and we'll worry about paying for it later. Or, or uh, when we when we need a, a new dress or a new pair of shoes or a new pair of pants, we just swipe the card and, and we're good to go. We'll, we'll worry about it when the bill rolls in. So maybe for us in this day and age, we've got these basic things covered, but it is transferred. Our worry now is transferred to debt. How am I going to pay my credit card bills? Or how am I going to pay my mortgage? Or how am I going to make my car payment? Or here, here's one, the reality in our household right now with with five kids, I mentioned that earlier. How are we going to pay for kids to go to college? I mean, we're starting to think about that. Our our oldest is nine. She's I, I can't fathom this. She's halfway there, and and it's like, what are we going to do? How are we going to get these kids through school? So we have all these worries that pile up. Maybe maybe food, drink, and clothes isn't a huge worry for us. Maybe it is something we need to think about, though. Maybe maybe our wardrobe does need to be scaled back a little bit, or maybe maybe we do need to cut back on on what we eat and what we drink, but there are other worries in life that can dominate us. And here's what I've come to realize with this. This isn't just a conversation for poor, uh, for poor people. Every one of us worry about something in our lives. Every single one of us have something that grips us that we can't let go of. See, the, the people that Jesus is talking to in this time, they, they may have actually ventured out of their homes that day with no food to eat. Nothing to drink. In this day and age, um, most of them had one item of clothing. So this may be a legitimate concern for them. They didn't have a closet full of things to choose from. They had an outfit. And that was their, that was their clothes. So for them, that was probably a legitimate concern. A legitimate worry on their part. And Jesus responds by saying, don't worry about those things because worry ultimately is an indication of a far bigger issue. 
He's going to dive into that in just a moment. So, so then he breaks it down further. So he says, hey, don't worry about these things. And then remember, he's, he's preaching to a group of people on a hillside. And, and so in verse 26, he says, hey, look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are you not much more valuable than they? So we immediately see his question there in verse 26. So probably what we see, we probably see Jesus sitting on the hillside and there's birds flying over. And he just points at one of the birds and says, hey, look at these birds. Now, I had a traumatic experience when I was a child. I may not view birds like most people. Ducks, actually. We, we had this park that, uh, it was called Twin Hills Park in my hometown of Crestview. And, and that was the place to go when we were kids. They had this cool, like, old metal, like, spaceship with a slide coming out of it, like, stuff that would completely be illegal to play on these days. Um, there was this old, like, World War II tank that you could actually climb up and in and through. Like, they don't do that kind of stuff anymore. There was also a pond with some ducks. And my mom thought it would be fun to let's take a little bag of bread and feed the ducks. I was about five or six years old and, and so, um, not having a lot of experience with duck feeding in my life, I grabbed a, grabbed a little piece of bread and I went and, and handed it to one of the ducks and the duck bit me. Now, I don't, yeah, it was, I started screaming. It, it's been a traumatic thing. I've never, I don't think duck have teeth. I was so traumatized by it. I never paid attention to marine biology and like biology and all that stuff for the rest of my life. I, I, I choose to kind of ignore birds and things with wings and all that kind of stuff. But, but Jesus in this moment says, Hey, look, look at these birds in the air and look how, how many, I mean, they soar and you don't see them stockpiling food. You don't see them building up a, a need for for long-term nourishment. They just know when, when they need food, they've got the instincts and the ability to track down what they need. And if God cares so much for these birds that He provides them the knowledge and the understanding of what to pursue when they need food, then how much more could He possibly care for those of us who are created in His image? So if, if God is caring for these birds then certainly He does the same for us. And I love, I love what Paul says. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It's going to pop up on the screen for us right now. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether, whether living in plenty or in want. And I love this because Paul says, hey, there have been times in my life I've been hungry. But I've never doubted the faithfulness of God. I know who He is. And I know what He has done for me. And I know that He will provide. And I don't know about you, but I immediately think, well, gosh, what about, what about the starving kids out there? What about all those kids that don't have any food to eat? Every three seconds in our nation, kids, in our, in our world, kids die 
of preventable diseases, starvation being one of the key ones. Every three seconds a child dies. So where is God in the midst of that? Well, here's an interesting thing. Did you know that if you take all the agricultural sites around our world, that 10% of those agricultural sites can provide enough food to feed the entire world? 10% of the current agricultural sites, farms and such, all over our world, 10% of those is enough to feed the world. What happens? America happens. We stockpile. We got freezers full. We got refrigerators full. We got pantries full. We got additional refrigerators in the garage to catch all the overflow. And so God looks at us and says, I provided for you. But it's our responsibility to share the wealth that we have with those in need. And I know so many of us in this room, we sponsor kids, we go and we serve and we send backpacks and backpacks of food when we go. But could you imagine a world in which we live where we all decide we're not going to worry about what we eat. We're going to trust that God provides. And when we see someone in need, we're going we're to meet that need. We're going to help those that need help. Jesus is telling us, don't worry about what you eat. Here's what David said in Psalm 24.1. He said, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. How, how funny is it that we tend to think it's our stuff? You know, this is my food. This is my house. This is my car. This is my clothes. This is my stuff. But David reminds us that everything belongs to God. So maybe if we begin to shift our mindset a little bit and recognize that we are simply stewards, that's our role here on earth. We are simply to steward the resources that God has given us for ourselves, for our family, and for those around us. David acknowledged that thousands of years ago. And we need to do the same. And I look at, I look at Daniel. And I think of the importance of acknowledging in our lives that we understand that God is in control of all circumstances and all things. And I think that's sometimes why we stockpile. Isn't it interesting that we trust God with our eternal salvation, but we don't trust God with our daily needs? We trust God that He will provide for us for eternity through His Son Jesus, but we don't trust God to take care of tomorrow or to take care of today. And you see, worry is a significant issue. We may be saying, I don't understand why we're talking so much about worry. Worry is a pivotal sin in our lives because we are in our worry saying, God, we don't trust you when you say you're faithful. We don't trust you when you say you will provide for us in our need. So worry is a significant issue. Because we suddenly have decided that our own concerns, our own solutions are far better than the ones that God has for us. So in Daniel, we see a guy who trusts God completely. I mean, so many times in, in the book of Daniel, we see an example of this, but specifically in Daniel chapter six, I mean, we remember it from the good old days in, in Sunday school where we had the little color book that showed us Daniel and the lion's den. You remember that story? 
Daniel in the lion's den. And, and what I love about it is, in most of these uh, depictions of Daniel in the lion's den, you got these mean, angry lions. You had this peaceful, calm Daniel just staring them down. And you remember why Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, right? You remember the uh, he he was. There were some guys that didn't like the fact that he was continuing to pray even though they were told you were no longer allowed to pray to God. You have to worship the king. And, and so Daniel chose to pray anyway. And, and they, they, they saw him. They were envious of him, these other key leaders in the government. And so they turned him into the king. And the king was heartbroken. The king was devastated because Daniel was one of his most faithful men. And he loved Daniel. And here's the interesting thing. If you read the story in Daniel chapter 6, it says that the king actually stayed up all night while Daniel was in the lion's den. Stayed up all night worried about the outcome of Daniel. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure for me, if I threw somebody into a lion's den at the zoo, I wouldn't really be worried about their outcome. I'm pretty sure they'd just be dead. Um, but the king stayed up all night worried about the outcome. The next morning he rushed to the den and he, they, they looked inside and Daniel was just peacefully waiting for someone to come and retrieve him in the midst of all those lions and, and all those lions. And so Daniel understood what it meant to trust God in all things. And I wonder sometimes, do I understand what it means to trust God in all things? Do I truly get what it is that Jesus is trying to say to us? saying to me. He also references going back to Matthew 6 chapter. It says, Why of you by worrying, in verse 27, can add a single hour to, to your life? I mean, think about it. Does worrying, will worrying add even a second more to our life? If we believe that God has dictated our days, then does worrying about things that we can't control because God is in charge of all things, does worry allow us to add any moment to our day? Any second? So why do we allow it to consume us so much? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. So he, again, they're sitting on the hillside and he's already pointed at the, the birds flying overhead and he probably just looks down and says, look, look all around you. See these flowers all around us? You not see how beautiful they are? These flowers are only here for a little while. They bloom. They, they have their lifespan in a matter of weeks or months. They're gone again. And if God cared so much about these flowers that He chose a, a specific identity for them, that He has specifically designed them to look a certain way, to smell a certain way. And ultimately, these flowers, when they're dead and, and turning brown, the only option that, that we have for them is we, we collect them and we throw them in the fire and they're used as fuel for our food preparation. Maybe they're used to keep us warm or these flowers as they, as they burn, they're used to help us make pottery or something along those lines. So 
Jesus is looking and saying, look, they have such a short lifespan. But yet they're all so beautiful. I was going to refer to flowers in the room. We don't have any flowers in the room today, but you know, sometimes we have flowers that honor a, a certain person, maybe a, a marriage or a, a death or something along those lines. And we always talk about, oh, how beautiful those flowers are. And we all acknowledge how, how impressive it is that flowers can take certain shapes and sizes and colors and design. And God crafted it all. And they serve a six-month lifespan. And then they're gone. And Jesus is saying, if God cares so much for this flower, if He cares so much to design it intricately, if you look at it under a microscope, it's amazing all the intricate details of a flower. If you if God cared so much just about this flower, how much more does He care for us? Again, those of us who are created in the image of the Almighty God. He cares for us. He will not leave us in need or in want. And then He goes on. He references Solomon. You're familiar with Solomon and Solomon was the wisest, wealthiest man in all the world during his day. Solomon, evidently, according to, to this, he, and if you look at some of Solomon's writing in the Old Testament, he was very much pursuing all the different avenues that might bring him fulfillment in life. And ultimately, Solomon himself can't compare to the blessings that God has intended for us. So, don't lack faith is how he closes it in verse 30. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 1.18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believes. Because see, worry declares that God is untrustworthy. That His Word is untrustworthy. That His promises are not trustworthy. But for those of us who acknowledge that worry has no place in our life, then like Paul, perhaps the eyes of our heart have been opened. Then he closes it out, starting in, Verse 31, he says, So don't worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So we see in this moment, Jesus references the pagans or the Gentiles, those unbelieving around them. He says, worry is for all those people. We don't have to be like the folks that have no hope in their life. We should look different from those who have no hope. They worry. We trust in God's provision. They scurry and store up and build up and, and we wait and we trust in God. We cannot look 
like the world around us. The world around us has to look to us and see that something in our lives is different. And when we worry, we look like the world around us. We look like a non-believing generation of people who have chosen to put their faith and their trust in other things. And God has called us to put our faith and trust in Him. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. I remember a conversation years ago, actually a buddy of mine who is, who is now, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to see how God has been at work in his life. Years ago, we were in college and we were both singing in, in a, uh, college choir together and we had a chance to do a tour through France. And I remember we were sitting in a hotel room in Paris and, um, we were preparing for the evening activities and there was a lot of the, uh, college folks I were with, I was with that were, um, preparing that night to go out to the discotheque. Discotheque was the uh, Parisian nightclub. Because, you know, in, you're 18 in Paris, there's things that you can do that you can't do when you're 18 in, in the U.S. And so they were going to go to Europe and go to the club. And, and I thought, man, I'm going to the Eiffel Tower. You know, if I'm in France for two days, I'm going to go to the Eiffel Tower. I'm not going to go to the club. I'm going to have pictures from the top of the Eiffel Tower that I can show my kids and my grandkids and say, I've been there and I've done that. And they, they went to the club. And so I started talking with Dean. I said, Dean, just help me understand. Help me understand why it is that you don't have a relationship with God. Why you don't believe that there's a God and why you're choosing to pursue some of these other avenues in your life. And so he started telling me about his desire to succeed in all these different phases in his life, these different stages, personally, professionally, physically, emotionally. I just, I'm not ever really great at this, but in that moment I just said, Dean, what if, what if your pursuit of God may ultimately lead you to be successful in some of these other avenues of your life? What if you choose to prioritize God. And, and we talked about Matthew 6.33. We talked about what it may look like to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And then all these other things that we worry about, all the, the what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? What kind of house are we going to build? What kind of job are we going to have? What kind of car are we going to drive? All these things that we worry about and think about, what if they just kind of just fall into place because we've got our eyes fixed on Jesus. What would life look like for, for you? What would life look like for me? For all of us, if we just said, hey, I'm not going to worry about these things that the world worries about, but I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. And by fixing my eyes on Jesus, maybe all this other stuff, it just it sorts itself out. Now here's the crazy thing. Here's the Holy Spirit thing. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense how all these things fix themselves. It may not be an easy explanation from a worldly perspective. But here's what I know, that God intercedes in some incredible way. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, life just comes together. I, I can't explain it. It's a Holy Spirit thing. Life just works out. There have been many times in my life, and Lauren and I have sat down and just said, we don't have, if we pay the tithe this week, we're, we're not going to be able to pay the mortgage. 
And God just says, seek first the kingdom of God. And I'm, this isn't a wealth and prosperity gospel. I can just tell you that when it comes time later in the month to pay the mortgage, the money's there. It didn't miraculously appear. Maybe somebody just came up and said, man, God just, God just inspired me to, to give you 20 bucks. It wasn't some miracle that happened and money just accumulated unbeknownst to me, a bank error of some kind. But God provides. A car breaks down and somehow, some way, God works in such a way that we're back on our feet again. Maybe we gotta share a vehicle, heaven forbid. Maybe we gotta share a vehicle for a season. But when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and not worry about the distractions of life, the distractions of life just work themselves out. Now there's diligence on our part as young parents whose kids are going to college one day. We're not gonna just assume that one day our kids are gonna get their college completely paid for and we didn't have to do anything to make it happen. We understand that there's some planning and preparation on our part. We can plan and we can prepare, but we just don't worry. You can plan out your life. You can see how God is leading in your life, but don't worry about the details. Don't worry about the things that are beyond our control. Trust in the providence of God. Trust in His faithfulness. Trust in His Word. And when things look like they're not coming together, they will. I love Acts twenty twenty four. This is Paul again. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My aim, my only aim, is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul says, I'm not worried about the things that are outside my control. The only thing that I'm worried about is finishing the race that God has called me to finish. And that's going to be my one pursuit. That's going to be my one mission, my one objective. To seek after God with all of my heart. You know, that's a recurring theme all throughout Scripture. To put our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. My favorite verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and the, 3, 5, and 6. This isn't some new thing that Jesus is teaching in Matthew 6, 33. Proverbs 5 and 6, 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge Him. And guess what? All those things that we worry about, they get fixed. He says, and I will make your path straight. Trust in God. And don't worry. Came across this artist in, in the past year, a young lady who God is using in amazing ways. Her name's Lauren Daigle. She was just announced as the Christian Artist of the Year, Christian Album of the Year. And one of her songs just has really spoken to me about this very topic today. And we're going to kind of close out our time by watching this video together. Before I bring my need, I will bring my heart Before I lift my cares, I will lift my arms I want to know you, I want to find you in every season 
When Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. God desires for us to seek Him above all other things. To not allow worry to have any place in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You. God, we thank You for Your faithfulness to us even as we allow worry to slip in sometimes. Even as we begin to focus our lives on other things and forget about Your preeminence. God, thank You for Your faithfulness to us through it all. God, we thank You for Your Son Jesus. We thank You that He gave His life so that we could seek You first, so that we could surrender all of our burdens, all of our sin, all of our faults and failures to You, so that we would have the opportunity to seek You. So God, forgive us for those moments in our life when we allow doubt, uncertainty, worry to slide in and take hold. 
God, give us the courage and the strength to surrender our worry to you. To trust in you for all things. As we close out this time of worship, we are simply declaring, God, we are here to worship you. We are here to seek you first. Maybe like me, there's some of you in this room who need to acknowledge that worry sometimes takes hold in your life. And maybe you just need to take this time to call out to God, to cry out, to confess to Him. To surrender the worry to Him. Maybe some of you in this room have never come to a place where you acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus in your life. Maybe that's a conversation that needs to be had. Myself and Colonel Dan will be down here at the front. We're willing to pray with you. We'll be available after the service in the missions room. But right now, right now we have this opportunity to seek God first. To declare it through song. To surrender our hearts to Him. Would you stand with me as we sing together?